Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 119, verses 145 through 160. Psalm 140, Psalm 119, verses 145 through 160. This is also the sermon text this morning. Hear the word of God. With my whole heart I cry. Answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promises. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust, because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Sam's a reading from the Old Testament. Prayer has always been uh, central to the life of the people of God. Uh, we certainly can see that in the Psalms. Uh, The Psalms provide uh, so many prayers for us, beautiful prayers to the Lord, and in many respects provide a model for us uh, so that we uh, may learn how to pray. Now, we who live under the New Covenant, uh, we have uh, even greater privileges uh, in prayer from what the Old Covenant uh, people had, because our Lord has come. The New Testament tells us that uh, we have the privilege of praying in Jesus' name, something that the Old Covenant saints couldn't do, uh, didn't know how to do. Uh, We are told that uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who has been glorified, uh, is now in heaven and is praying for us so that when we pray here on earth, we may be confident that the Lord Jesus uh, is Uh, is praying uh, even better prayers to the Father on our behalf. And we also know that we have the Spirit in full measure. The Spirit has been poured out upon us because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Spirit helps us as we pray. We delight in the privileges we have as New Covenant people. And yet as we uh, turn uh, to Psalm 119 and 
to these uh, two stanzas that uh, we read a moment ago. Uh, we see the psalmist talking about prayer and also offering up prayers to the Lord. And there is much here that we see is an example for us in the way that this psalmist prays. Now, over the last few years, I have been slowly working through Psalm 119 uh, here uh, with you. And one of the things that I have often emphasized is that this psalmist calls himself a sojourner on this earth. Uh, the psalmist was an Israelite, but he was apparently not an Israelite living in the promised land. Uh, he had been sent into exile uh, as a sinner, as a rebel against God, and most likely with other uh, of Israelite sinners. And yet this psalmist was a repentant sinner who had turned back to the Lord, and yet he was living in a foreign land. He was living away from the temple of God, where God had promised to dwell with his people. And so this psalmist was in a foreign land, away from God's presence. And as we see again and again in Psalm 119, he is living in the midst of great affliction. He is suffering. He's suffering in many ways, and especially at the hands of evil people who wish him, who wish to do harm to him, who wish to destroy his life and well-being. And as we think about these things, we see so much that is like our situation as New Covenant people. The New Testament calls us sojourners in this world, not because we are away from an earthly promised land, but because we are away from our heavenly home, away from the place and where our true citizenship lies, away from not an earthly temple, but away from a heavenly temple, a heavenly sanctuary where God will dwell with his people face to face forever. And we live as a people who are in deep affliction. We are a suffering people as the new covenant people of God. And we live surrounded by many people who hate the Christian faith and who will hate us for it and who would love nothing more than to, to take us away from the path that is uh, set before us by our Lord. And so when this psalmist prays, and he prays with a sense of God's distance, and when he prays in the midst of affliction, there is much for us to learn about prayer from the way that this psalmist describes it and models it for us. Here, And so, with that in mind, let us consider these two stanzas, the Kof and the Resh stanzas. We look first at the Kof stanza, verses 145 through 152. Now, in a sense, the whole of Psalm 119 is a prayer. And we have, uh, throughout Psalm 119, we have many many prayers, uh, brief petitions, which the psalmist offers up to the Lord. But what we see in these opening four verses of this stanza, verses 145 through 149, is we describe, uh, we, we see the psalmist describing prayer. We see this, the psalmist talking about himself 
offering up a prayer to the Lord. And we see uh, the kinds of, notice the kinds of verbs that he uses to describe his prayers in these opening three verses. In verse 145, he says, with my whole heart, I cry to the Lord. He cries out to God. And he uses uh, this verb again in verse 147. He cries for help. In verse 146, we see, I call to you. The psalmist describes his prayers with this language of crying out and calling upon the Lord. And this is an important reminder right from the beginning of this stanza that our prayers are not a mere transferring information to the Lord. It is not like sending the Lord an email where we uh, tell him uh, what we're thankful for this day. It is not like writing the Lord a memo in which we present some things that we would like him to do for us now. Our prayer is something that emerges, or at least it ought to emerge, from deep within. It emerges from the heart. It is from the heart that we cry out. It is from the heart that we call upon the Lord. Prayer is a laying bare of our souls before the Lord. You think about this. There, uh, I suppose that there are some of us who are more comfortable laying bare our souls before one another than others of us are, and I guess that's fine. Uh, we have different personalities and different degrees of comfort in talking about personal, private things with each other. But with the Lord... We all stand in the same relationship to him, and there is no difference. Whatever your personality, whatever your degree of being a private person or or a person who likes to bear your soul before others, before the Lord, we must all bear our souls. That is what prayer is. It doesn't do any good to hide what is in your heart before the Lord. He already knows what's there. There is no sin that you can conceal before the Lord because he knows your sins. There is no need that you need to feel embarrassed about having. The Lord knows what your needs are. He knows that you're a weak creature. And so with our prayers, we lay bare our souls before God. We cry out to him. We call upon him from a sense of deep need. And a deep sense that it is in communion with our Lord that, well, we were made for this. And it is to this that we are called. And as we look further at how the psalmist describes prayer in these opening verses, we see in this very first verse, verse 145, he describes it as taking place with his whole heart. Our prayers are something Holistic, not just from the heart, from the whole heart. And this is a phrase that the psalmist has already used to describe a kind of a holistic devotion that we ought to have before the Lord. The psalmist uses the same phrase, a whole heart, in the second verse of the first stanza and the second verse of the second stanza. In both cases, he says that I seek the Lord With my whole heart, your heart represents the center of your existence, who you really are. 
And for the psalmist, our prayers are something that we offer from the center of our existence. With all that we are, we call upon the Lord. And the this sense of holistic prayer, the sense of total devotion to the Lord, uh, is further brought out in verses 147 and 148. You notice it is uh, the, the times that the psalmist prays. In verse 147, he says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. And then in verse 148, he says, My eyes are awake before the watches of the night. And so it is early in the morning, and then even late at night, uh, he is crying out to the Lord. It is a way of saying that this prayer is not something that he does on occasion. It is something that marks him. It is something that characterizes him. We might think of perhaps what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He says, pray at all times or pray continually. And of course, we are not literally at every moment voicing prayers to the Lord. A lot of the day we are thinking about our other responsibilities. We are not even thinking consciously about the Lord. And yet there is a sense in which we are to be marked as people of prayer. That is who we are as Christians. And the thing that characterizes us, if you think of, if you describe someone, if you are, you think of someone in certain terms, that this is who a person is. You wouldn't think of someone that, you wouldn't think of something that a person does only occasionally, once in a while. Now you think about something that someone does on a regular basis, something that seems to get to the heart of who a person really is. Who are we as Christians? We are people who pray. Not on occasion, but it is something that gets to the heart of who we are. We rise at dawn and we pray. In the watches of the night, we cry out to the Lord. This is who we are. It characterizes us. And yet, the psalmist reminds us of something very, very important in the next verse, verse 149, the fifth verse of this stanza. He reminds us that as we cry out to the Lord, as, as we cry out with our whole heart, as we cry out continually to the Lord, that the Lord does not hear us because of the strength of our prayer, the righteousness of our prayer. It is not because of our wisdom in being able to find God. It is because of God's own goodness. He says in verse 149, Hear my voice. According to your steadfast love, O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. He appeals to the Lord's attributes, his steadfast love, his justice, as the reason why we are heard when we call out to the Lord. And we may be reminded of what we read from Hebrews 10 a few minutes ago. We are to come before the Lord. We are to draw near to him. Because of the work of Christ, it is through the flesh of Christ, the body of Christ, that a new and living way has been opened for us. 
God is a God of steadfast love. He has promised. He promised long ago to his covenant people that he would be their God and that he would redeem them from all their sins. And in Christ, he has fulfilled that promise and has opened up a way into his presence. God's steadfast love means the fulfillment of his promises, and it means that we may approach his throne boldly. And it's interesting to see this appeal to God's justice. We may not ordinarily think of appealing to God's justice as something that's very comforting, that give us boldness in prayer. But when you think about it, it's true. Because Christ has come, because Christ has fulfilled all the law for us, because he is always pleading our case before the Father in heaven, it is just for God to hear our prayers. It is just for God to forgive us our sins. It would be unjust for him to turn us down, we for whom Christ has died. And so, with that confidence, we... Look at these next verses, and we see this, uh, the psalmist in verses 150 and 151 playing with this idea of nearness and distance. And as we consider these verses, it's worth remembering again, which I alluded to at the beginning of the sermon, that a prayer emerges uh, from our weakness. We pray as those who are needy. The very fact that we get down on our knees and lift up our hearts and voices to the Lord is an acknowledgement that we are a weak people who need help. And in a sense, we pray to the Lord because he is absent from us. Not in every respect, as we'll see in a moment, but in a real sense, the Lord is absent. Our Lord is in heaven, and we are on earth. There's a sense in which we won't pray in the age to come the way we pray now. Of course, we will worship the Lord. We will worship the Lord wonderfully in the age to come, but we won't pray in the same way we pray now. Because there we will have no more need. We will have no more weakness. We will have no more sin. We will have no more enemies. But as for now, we have all those things. And so we pray with a deep sense of those things. And again, one of the great reasons that we pray is because of enemies in this world. Because of wicked people who oppose us and who oppose the truth. And who seek to destroy the Lord's work in this world. And you see the psalmist bringing this to our attention in Psalm in verse 150. He says, they draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. Who is near to the psalmist? Well, it's evil people who are drawing near. And this has, this in and of itself, that has an ominous feel to it. But the psalmist increases that ominous feel when he says further in verse 150, and they are far from your law. The enemies are near me, and yet they're far from the law of God. But notice the comforting thing that the psalmist says next in verse 151. But you are near, O Lord. You are near. 
The psalmist is saying this as a sojourner in a distant land, as one who has been driven away from the temple of God. In the temple, the Lord had promised to be near his people. And the psalmist is not there. And yet, as he cries out to God, he knows that though the Lord is absent in a sense, he is also near in an even more important sense. Yes, his enemies are drawing near. His enemies are closing in on him. And yet as he prays to the Lord, he has this sweet communion with the Lord who is ever present with him. And this is what prayer does, brothers and sisters. As long as we are in this present age, this present evil age, and are away from the Lord... Yet we draw near to him, as Hebrews 10 says, we draw near through the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that our enemies may be near, but our Lord is nearer. Our enemies might be strong, but the Lord is stronger. And we cry out to him with great confidence that he is near when we invoke his name. And this stanza ends then with a note of confidence. I mean, this was a note of confidence, and yet you notice what he says at the end of verse 151. He says, all your commandments are true. The word of God is true. And then in verse 152, long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. God's word is true, and God's word is lasting. And that same word long ago that promised that God would be near to us, that remains true. It remains lasting for us. And we might find great encouragement and comfort in that. And so, as we move now to the second of these stanzas, the Rash stanza, verses 153 through 160, we find the psalmist continuing a number of these themes. And, in fact, in the opening verses, at least the opening three verses, we see the psalmist continuing to think about prayer. We saw earlier in the opening verses of the previous stanza that the psalmist was talking about prayer, describing himself at prayer. Here we find him praying. And how does he pray? What does he say? Well, one of the things that we see here is that he prays out of a sense of trouble, out of a sense of distress. Verse 153, he says, look on my affliction and deliver me. Verse 154, he says, plead my cause and redeem me. Here we see that the psalmist, he he portrays himself as if he's in court as if uh, he's being brought before a judge and being accused, whether that's literal or figurative, it's hard to know. But he asked the Lord to plead his cause. He asked the Lord to be his lawyer, to plead his cause in this lawsuit. And in verse 155, he speaks again of the wicked, and he says, salvation is far from the wicked. Remember, he said in verse he had said in verse one fifty, these wicked people are far from God's law. Here he says, salvation is far from these wicked people. 
So once again, the psalmist has a profound sense of the nearness of the wicked, and yet their distance from God and his ways. And so the psalmist, even after saying such comforting things at the end of the previous stanza now, he portrays himself in great affliction, and yet is praying to the Lord for help. And as we might expect, when he cries out to the Lord for help, there is comfort and encouragement that comes. And we see this in the middle two verses of this stanza, verses 156 and 157. And the psalmist uh, uses, he, he comforts us by uh, using uh, a, a beautiful, uh, poetic uh, uh, way of, of expressing himself. Uh, in verse 156, he says, Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. We might understand this uh, perhaps a little better by translating this something like, uh, Many are your mercies, O Lord. Your mercy is many, O Lord. It is not so much that the psalmist is talking about the magnitude of God's mercy, but the quantity of God's mercies. God's mercies are many. We might think of Lamentations 3, where the psalmist, uh, uh, not the psalmist, the author of Lamentations uh, speaks about how God's mercies are new every morning. God's mercy keeps coming to us again and again and again. Day after day, moment after moment, the Lord does not treat us according to our sins. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, but he treats us according to his mercy. His mercy is many. And the reason that I emphasize that is because the psalmist uses the same word in verse 157 to describe his persecutors. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. Many are God's mercies, and that is a great comfort because his persecutors are many. He doesn't hide that reality. And yet, you see what the psalmist is doing. He is assuring us, as he assures himself, that however many adversaries you have, however many enemies of the gospel there may be, there are just as many mercies of God. There is a mercy of God to answer every affliction. There is mercy of God to answer and oppose every enemy. Brothers and sisters, we can be so anxious. We can be so fearful in the face of afflictions, in the face of those who stand opposed to our faith, to those who seek to thwart the work of God in this world. But be assured that there is no enemy of the gospel that is stronger than the mercies of God. Many are God's mercies. They are new every morning to meet every need, every trouble of each day. And then in verses 158 and 159, we find uh, the psalmist 
uh, capitalizing on the word to see. This is the Reish stanza, and we what that means uh, is that every verse begins with that letter, and uh, the word for see, a common word for see, begins with this letter. And the psalmist, in fact, begins three of these eight verses with this word. There's no other word that he uses more than once to begin a verse. Uh, but he uses this uh, word for the first time in Verse 153, talking about God. He tells God, look on my affliction. See my affliction. He uses it in verse 159. Again, talking about God. O Lord, consider or see how I love your precepts. And this makes sense in a larger context in which he's thinking about prayer. In prayer, we ask God to see us, to look upon us, to consider us. That would be a scary thing if we were enemies of God. If God stood as a judge to oppose us, we wouldn't want God to see us. But because God is on our side, because God's mercies are many, we want God to see us. We want him to understand who we are and what our trials are. But in verse 158, the second of the three uses of this term the psalmist describes his own seeing. We might think of it this way, is that because God sees us, it affects the way that we see the world. We see differently because God sees us. He sees us mercifully. In verse 158, the psalmist says, I look or I see the faithless with disgust. Because they do not keep your commands. Perhaps that strikes us as uh, perhaps a bit uncharitable. When we first read that, he looks at the wicked with disgust. We don't ordinarily think that we should look at our fellow human beings with that kind of contempt. And yet we remember that this is not a way of, you might say, being judgmental. Uh, it is not a way of being self-righteous. We ought not to be like that. We ought not to look at other people, even wicked people, with a sense of our own self-righteousness. We look at fellow sinners with a deep sense of our own sinfulness. And yet, how tempting it is for us as sinners to look at the wicked and to envy them. To look at wicked people and to see what they have to see perhaps their prosperity, to see what they enjoy, their pleasures that we're not supposed to enjoy, that we're not supposed to have, and to look upon them with a sense of longing, with a sense of envy, with a sense of wanting to be like them. And what the psalmist expresses here is that as the people of God, as those who are people of prayer, as those who are living with a sense of the nearness of God, we should not look at the evil and find their ways attractive. Even secretly in our hearts, we should not envy the wicked and long to walk in their ways. No, as God sees us mercifully, we should look upon the wicked and find their ways revolting. We should love them, yes, 
but we should find their wickedness disgusting as we consider God and his many mercies. And so with this, we come to the end of our text. And it's interesting that the psalmist ends this stanza with very similar ideas with the way he ended the previous stanza. Do you remember in verses 151 and 52, he called our attention to the fact that God's word is true and that he has founded his word forever. It is true and it is lasting. Well, we see the same things in verse 160. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. People of God, as you are called to be people of prayer, as you remember the mercies of God which are new for you every morning in Christ, remember that God's word which promises these things to you is true. And it is lasting. And the very same comfort that the psalmist found so many years ago is comfort and encouragement still for you today. And how much more it abounds for you today as you have seen the outcome of the promises of God in the coming of Christ and in the fulfillment of his work and the opening of that new and living way. So be comforted. Be encouraged as you draw near to your Lord in prayer and rest in his many mercies. Let's pray.